0: Hi, I'm Anthony Taylor and welcome to season two of the mental fitness podcast, the podcast where you're going to hear from a fantastic range of people about their personal stories and ideas on how to live a great life and look after your mental fitness while doing it. You're going to learn about resilience, emotional intelligence, how to identify our strengths and what we can do to support our good mental health. Here's a snapshot of what we've got in store for you this week
1: chuck on some joggers, fill up your water bottle, get outside and walk for 20 minutes. And 20 minutes of walking lifts endorphins for eight to nine hours. So if you're starting the day with some fresh water, you're outside, you've got the fresh air going through through your lungs and your endorphins are lifted, my, do you start the day off differently? So that physical mind alignment, it doesn't matter how rubbish you feel, if you can get
0: yourself out. So I'm really excited to be bringing you series two, and I hope you join us throughout the entirety of this. And as ever, if you like the podcast, please give us a like uh, or subscribe to the show as well. It takes just a minute, but it's going to help the podcast reach more people. Okay, let's crack on with the show. Welcome to this week's show of the Mental Fitness Podcast, where I'm delighted to say I am joined by Natasha uh, Natasha Jones, who is the author of Mandemic, and she also styles herself as the Lara Croft of law. Is that right, Natasha?
1: Well, yes, I have. I have uh, pictured myself on LinkedIn,
0: as that? Yes. Natasha is a uh, a long-time lawyer, and like I said, she's the author of this book, Mandemic, which is interesting. We got to know each other, I think, because... uh, our books are actually paired together by the Amazon algorithm and then you came across mine at a mutual networking event with a mutual uh, acquaintance of ours and we ended up chatting and found we got quite a lot in common when it comes to the topic of of mental health and mental fitness. So Natasha welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Not at all. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked all my guests to start off with which is just in your words what does mental fitness mean to you?
1: I think for me, mental fitness, if we're using the word fitness, then it's adopting habits where nice thoughts, excitement, and hope rises, but more on a calm sea or a blue sky. So clouds will inevitably come in, but the clouds pass through like a gentle summer breeze or a, a short summer shower as opposed to an autumnal hurricane ripping the roofs off trees coming out of their roots really so for me mental fitness is life will happen the clouds will come in but if you are keeping your mind your mental if your mental fitness is there and it's practiced then peace stillness and contentment is a place you can go back to and always come back to that's that's what it is for me
0: I really like that metaphor that you painted lots of pictures in people's minds there with the clouds and the storms and the wind and everything else. So I think that's brilliant. And a really nice segue into, I think, what encapsulates both your book and my book talking about metaphors and yours talking about, about habits. So tell me a little bit about, firstly, why the book? Why write that book?
1: So firstly, um, like yourself, um, this is uh, I've only written one book and I didn't know I had a book in me. So I think if it wasn't for COVID-19, I, I wouldn't have written and published a book. So it was in that first lockdown, that beautiful weather. Um, I was out gardening each evening. All day I'd been talking about furlough. And I'd heard a podcast which spoke of the highest suicide rate in the UK, being males aged 45 to 49. And um, I stopped and I, and I paused because I began to... Only then really acknowledge that the files that had been on my desk for 20 odd years as an employment lawyer was exactly that demographic. I had acted for men in middle life, being made redundant, exited from their jobs. And that was a demographic I knew well. So my heart sort of stopped that those men who I knew were struggling also got to a point they were that that was the highest the highest risk of suicide because they were the most likely to say life is hard but i'm now going to end it so it led me for quite a few days to i suppose recall memories of people i'd acted for um remember their story how they'd struggled and and it become my way I, i've always said i'm not a normal lawyer but it became my way as well as doing the job, the legal job to have little side chats. And often six months, 12 months later, the client would sort of touch base and say, look, I'm here. I've done that. um, I've moved on, but I just want to thank you because I'm not sure if you realize, but all those little chats made the world a difference at that really difficult time. So in the sort of that first lockdown, I began to sort of remember those stories and began to sort of jot things down, had a notebook. And when I sort of looked back through the pages of each of these stories, there became a bit of a theme and the chats that I'd had, um, which I realized I was urging people to adopt habits, good habits at a time when they were really struggling
0: i think that's a really good point isn't it about the habits piece and also like you said about the suicide rates in men aged 45 to 49 sadly in the last 18 months one well, bit longer actually just under two years i've lost uh, both my cousin vincent who was my age 49 and a school friend both to suicide both men who you know ostensibly had everything to live for but were struggling either refused or just didn't reach out for the kind of help. Had probably fallen into some bad habits Um, and like I said, chose that outcome. And then both of them leave families behind, you know, with kids as well. And it is, it's, it's, it's absolutely devastating. I remember, you know, the impact of of Vincent's uh, death actually hit me probably harder than when my own mum died of cancer 10 years ago, Um, just because I expected, but the suddenness of it and the, and, you know, the sort of the sense of just what a waste. Was really, you know, difficult to come to 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 think about and come to terms with, really.
1: Well, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that because I think, you know, they, these people leave this earth feeling they have nothing to live for, and so many people are touched, um, and so many people um, were actually there for them. So many people would have helped, and and they would have stepped up if they'd known. But we have this theme, you know. When I was acting for the for these men, I was a trusted advisor. They'd come to me for help in a legal sense, so I think they probably shared more with me than they probably were sharing with their. In fact, some said, "My wife knows nothing about this. I haven't told my parents." Um, so the trusted advisor position, they did share with me. But but on the whole, you know, little boys are brought up that it's weak to cry um, and you don't show emotion. So we we have lots of men stoically sort of trudging through life who are really miserable and feel life's pretty hopeless but they feel to acknowledge that um, is is a weakness and that makes them feel vulnerable so they just don't tell anybody.
0: What I love about your book as well is that you know you've written a book which is a collection of really good habits um, that people can engage in and it's nice, it's short, it's digestible You know, you can read it cover to cover easily in 20 minutes. You've got a nice story which sets it up, which is useful. So why that kind of book? You know, you could have gone on to write something longer. And what made you choose that style?
1: So I was aware um, in my own personal life, in my professional life, that often uh, when these people are struggling, um, well-meaning friends and family begin to preach to the person, begin to tell them what to do. Um, And all that does is drive the rabbit further down the rabbit hole. So um, I I realized I had effectively 32 habits uh, when I'd contemplated the chats I'd had and the sort of like self-care programs I'd sort of, I'd been running really. And um, I, which actually took me the longest, I deliberately tried to use simple language in a non-preachy way. Uh, I I like the idea that, you know, as a child, you'd pick up a book um, and the pictures would grasp your attention and you'd have your own uh, somewhat, I suppose, story in your own mind because you'd interpret things. So I wanted to plant the seeds of good habits that can replace maybe bad habits. But I wanted that artistic license, the person to really then go down one of the routes that they find palatable, they find interesting. So I've tried, it's a gentle invitation. And for the first time in my life, because anybody who knows me, I probably talk too much. Um, I really try to get that word, those words down. I wanted it to be, the book to be held in the hand. Uh, I had visited a guy stick it in his back pocket or a mum stick it in a handbag. You know, a book a child could hold basically. Um, and I wanted it to be a handy sized book, which maybe you might read it quickly cover to cover, but then you might dip into, or you might just have a look at a, look at a picture and then give the picture some thought really. So the illustrations, uh, you know, my, my illustrator is a wonderful man, Ron, because he helped me bring the man to life. Um, and he believed in the man as much as I did. Um, so those, the love that that man has been given in the illustrations, um, you know, it is, is extensive. So for me, this book is as much about the illustrations as the words.
0: And how's it gone down? It's—I see—it's an international bestseller. I know you sold it in lots of countries, haven't you?
1: Well, this is it. I mean, I—you know—you're—you're—you're you, experienced in this this journey of publishing. But for me, I was clear with myself when I was publishing pandemic What was I doing it for? And 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 ultimately, I—it was—it's the word hope. If one person was past it, picked it up, and it gave them hope just to try. And be a better version of themselves tomorrow than they are today by adopting maybe one habit for one day, then it was a start. So I didn't know where this would go. I say I'm a lawyer by trade. But when it sort of got number one in the US and Australia and Canada for happiness and a self help read in under two hours, I was just flabbergasted. In um, Japan, it got number one in Japan um because apparently Japanese really like reading English books so I mean that's the beauty of the internet I mean that's the wonder of Amazon how far that reaches so in the end yeah seven countries sort of picked it up um and I had actually a contact only this morning from somebody in Australia on LinkedIn saying I've read your book and you know can can you come on a podcast so I just love the fact that the man is traveling around the world it makes me very very happy
0: of all the habits what are your top three what are your favorites
1: Oh, my top three. Um, So I think, in fact, somebody this morning just said to me, I'm terrible at habits, I fail all the time. You know, if we break down what a habit is, it's, it's an action, which you have repeatedly done so many times, it becomes automatic. So what I'm trying to do is, is um, install, I suppose, some good behaviour, which helps the mind and body. So the first one, which actually I've had a bit of stick over this for the last couple of weeks, um, is water. So I have here, I have a Mandemic water bottle. Because two litres of, of plain, warm, room-temperature water a day you will pretty much see off any headaches, you'll feel more energised, our bodies are made of 60, 67% water, then it's really important we remain hydrated They have tea, coffee, beer, and wine. They have water in them, um, but they also have toxins in them that dehydrate the body. So what I've tried to do is people have been working with a self-care program is a water bottle that has basically an hourly counter on it. Fill your water bottle up every morning, put it somewhere where you're going to look at it or carry it around with you, and just take it in small bite size. Every hour, it's sort of, you're trying to bring it down I think with water, after you've been repeatedly, same time each morning, filling it up, carrying the bottle around, then lots of people have now adopted drinking the water habits, where before they claimed they didn't like the taste of water, um, they forgot to do it, but the nudge being the water bottle, together with having the water bottle somewhere you can see it, keep it in the car, keep it on your desk. So water, I think, is the simplest, so it's, it's the one I tend to talk about first, because Who can't have a go at that? And for the skeptics out there, all I just say is try it. Come back to me when after seven days in a row, you've had two liters of water and and then tell me it's made no difference to you. And if it hasn't, fair enough, but just try it. So that's a physical one. One that's given me lots of pleasure is smile. So I talk about um, smiling because it really is infectious. If you smile at somebody, very quickly they smile back. And I think a sadness for me in the pandemic was by wearing masks, you would smile at people, but they couldn't see you smiling. So I really noticed a disconnect, you know, with other human beings because you couldn't see each other smiling. So that British thing of good morning and a smile, I think brightens anybody's day up. So just remembering to smile at other people or smile at yourself, basically every morning, smile at as ladies, uh, just to get of a, a few wrinkles around here. Sort of smiling at yourself, and then, but you do. It sounds really silly, but you stand. If the first thing you do is when you get out of bed, stand in front of the mirror and smile at yourself. Well, you lift your spirit.
0: And so the third,
1: third one, I would possibly say again, it's a really easy one, but I've I've seen a lot of resistance from people is get outside and walk for 20 minutes in the fresh air. What on the self-care programme I ask people to do is to set their alarm 30 minutes earlier the night before and use that 30 minutes, get out of bed, chuck on some joggers, fill up your water bottle, get outside and walk for 20 minutes. And 20 minutes of walking lifts endorphins for eight to nine hours. So if you're starting the day with some fresh water, you're yeah, outside, you've got the fresh air going through through your lungs and your endorphins are lifted. My, do you start the day off differently? So that physical mind alignment, it doesn't matter how rubbish you feel if you can get yourself out. And the nudge for getting yourself out for, out for a walk is the night before, A, set the alarm, um, but B, leave by your bed, joggers, pair of trainers and, you know, a sweatshirt, And then you're out of bed and you go, you don't think about it, you go. But when you come back in again, you're ready to take the day on, you know, to do anything really. So it sounds too simple. And there's a lot of resistance. People make a lot of excuses. I can't do it because, but because, because, because. But those that have on the self-care program been getting out for 20 minutes and have started to do it on a daily basis, have really noticed a difference in their positivity and then there, I think, willingness and ability to start and move on to some of the other habits.
0: I think you're right about several of those. Certainly about the water. I recently, I'll say on Monday, I kicked caffeine. So I've now gone it's Thursday today. We're talking. Um, I had a wicked headache all day yesterday that just wouldn't go until actually I've been to the gym in the evening. And then I think the endorphins lifted it. And I woke up tomorrow today, rather, feeling so much brighter. I haven't needed a coffee. You know, I've told myself for years. I used to have two filter coffees in the morning before the first hour and a half of the day had gone um but actually it's it's massively different it's changed you know I feel so much brighter I don't feel a lack of energy I don't feel any more tired um although I was chuckling we were talking about water and what the listeners can't see is that you and I both held up water bottles but I saw a fundamental problem with that they're both full <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, yeah, that just that quote just uh, uh, appeared to me. But, um, yeah, so I think really about the water, absolutely, and the caffeine. Uh, the caffeine one, for me, was one of my favourites, and I know that's made a big difference to me in just the last few days. And I certainly get, I get where you're coming from about walking. You know, I've got a, uh, my stepdaughter who's been struggling with, um, doing really well, actually, but she has been diagnosed with severe anxiety and depression. And one of the things that we do with her sometimes is when she's in a bit of a mood, is to take her out for that walk. And you can see when she starts out, her shoulders are around her ears, her phone on her face, she's not in a good mood. But by the end of a good, strong hour's walk outside, her shoulders are dropped, she's got a smile on her face and she's realised that actually getting outside and walking is so important for her her care, her self-care.
1: I had very similar the... So we're talking now 20, I lose track of the years. so it's only 2020, isn't it? But the first sort of lockdown, this first few months, my teenage daughter, who was really active, but there was no netball club, there were no netball games, no hockey club, no hockey games. And she did a complete reverse and then didn't really move. I was really concerned. She seemed to be dipping lower and lower. Um, and it was a vicious circle because she didn't really want to do anything. Um, but then she was sort of on her phone a lot uh, awareness of tech is an, is another habit um, in pandemic. So she was she was looking to the phone to give a simulation, but it seemed to be draining her energy. Um, and we had a day. She I was very 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 worried about her. Um, and I said basically, right, you know, in the car now we were allowed. I think by that stage we were allowed. To, you know, you were allowed to drive to an outdoor area. And I took her out from the hills in in the in the um, Peak District. I gave a bottle of water and basically said, drink this on the way. We packed basically sort of some lunch and oh my word, within 20 minutes of being in the fresh air, I had a different child. And the child I brought home was a very, very different teenager to the child I'd taken. But I was very concerned about her because she was a very active, sort of very bubbly child. And week after week, she'd just become more and more and more withdrawn, basically. And I couldn't, I couldn't reach her. And I sort of, I thought, right, okay, what do I know? What can I do? And so these absolute basic habits, you know, I, I walk the walk basically and my children have these water bottles and before they go off to school basically it's right if you filled your water bottle and as you rightly say when they come home from school show me your water bottle now they may have emptied it out on the drive before they walk to the front door but equally um again I see the difference you know my son when he's de- dehydrated he's a, he loves coffee he would happily live on coffee all day the difference in his skin in his sort of you know say the headaches his vitality if he's had a day of all coffee or whether he's had his water it's astonishing to see but it sounds almost too simple to be true so it's one of those people have to try for themselves i'm afraid so
0: so how would you you know if they got someone's picked up your book and they can get it from amazon um where how would you suggest someone read the book and apply it would it be you know read it cover to cover and then choose one or two habits or one habit to try first get that down for how long what would you suggest
1: I would say depend on the person so I think you know I'm a generation I suspect you know lots of men I know um actually say I don't read books I don't read books and I think that comes from um as little as little boys sort of probably in the 70s early 80s um Reading and handwriting was the number one currency at primary school uh, and the girls had need to handwriting and were quicker to read and the boys were basically berated. So I think lots of boys of my generation, their association with reading books is one of misery. So plenty, when it was known, I'd published a book, plenty of guys said to me, well, I just don't read books. And I said, ha, ah, this isn't a book, this is a comic. Um, so I would say, pick the book up and flick through it. And depending on the person, it might fall open at a picture and you might contemplate the picture and think, okay, um, you might be somebody who wants to start at the beginning. I know plenty of men who'd rather start at the end. You know, it, it's it's deliberately sort of sectioned off, so you could pick it up in the middle and and it would make sense. I obviously tell a story, so if you want to know how the story begins and the story ends, then there's a story section of it. But um, I deliberately wanted, and I think your book is quite similar, the metaphors because. Some, sometimes it's nice just to read one a few pages and then contemplate it you know and some people very much my dad reads like that he doesn't like to rush a book um, he likes to sort of take his time and then give it some thought basically so I've tried to create a book that whatever is your pace whatever is your preference for contemplation you'll find it somewhere in pandemic so that's what I hope
0: I certainly think you've done that. You know, for me, I really enjoyed it. I read it cover to cover in about 25 minutes, something like that. But then went back and, and actually said, right, I'm going to choose one thing. Let's just try and work on that for a couple of days um, and, uh, and get, a, get a bit more that as a habit and then come back and try doing some other things. So certainly the water and the caffeine are the first two that are having a, a big difference for me. And I absolutely concur that they are having a big difference. What would you like to see employ, you know, an employment lawyer, you've been advising businesses and, and people for years. What would you like to see employers doing more of to improve mental health of their employees?
1: I mean, I've said it probably for most of my career. I don't believe anybody goes to work intending to do a poor job, basically. So as a lawyer, for most of my career, I've said, okay, what's the story behind the person? So you've given me this file, you want to sack this person, you know, you say they've got to go, but tell me the story about the person. And so COVID, everybody got to see life, all aspects of it. So the guys who before were sat in the boardroom and weren't involved in in their children before and after school, had their children at home, homeschooling. So they saw then as to actually how much goes on, goes on behind the scenes in a family. So, therefore, maybe more empathy for single parent families or for people who are struggling or, you know, divorcees basically, a dad who. Had the traditional setup, mum and dad looking after the children. Now they there's a divorce. Dad twice a week has the children, but he's got to pick them up from school. He's got to help with the homework, and it's hard. To, you can't walk in somebody's shoes, and until until you actually have walked in them. So I think COVID sort of gave everybody an opportunity to see different aspects of life, and so now that we've seen it, let's not unsee it. So if you've got somebody in your workplace who is struggling, then before you rush to the disciplinary and to to berate them and to beat them with the stick then what do you know about them what are their home circumstances have they just lost somebody you know the grief and process is very complex we don't talk about grief in this country there's not grief counseling there's not grief grief support basically so human to human if you know somebody's circumstances are difficult or they appear to have lost their mojo or their dropped. Well, there are other ways to support somebody than sacking them. Now, my, my, I suppose, passion about the habits is, is that for somebody who's already struggling, then if they're not giving their body the best chance, if they're not getting good sleep, if they're not eating properly. So if we think of a car, if your car runs short of oil, water, uh, fuel, you don't expect it to, to drive from London to Edinburgh, do you? So the human body, people who are struggling very often aren't eating properly. You know, they're not looking after themselves. So some self-care support, you know, employers can do quite a lot to encourage their, their staff to drink more water. And many of the other habits in the book, it, can, it could be a team effort. So firstly, it's edu- edu- educating sounds a patronizing word, but people don't know what they don't know. Um, so a guy living on his own and his wife always did the cooking he may not have a clue actually about nutrients and about how to cook well for himself and why takeaways if you eat rubbish you'll feel rubbish um, mm. but in the workplace there's, there's an ideal opportunity to pass across information employees affect the bottom line so I challenge any company who won't see a benefit in effectively the top line if they look after their people and help them basically to live a life that's um got some good habits in it because they will come to work more energized more motivated and they'll perform better
0: yeah, I mean, absolutely spot on isn't it it's about realizing the investments you make in looking after your staff do hit the bottom line and all sorts of those reasons and also recognizing like you said that you know people I'm not necessarily a fan of this idea of a work life balance, you know, there, there isn't the two things, you work into just it's one life. And I was uh, one of my other earlier guests on this season is Phil Jones, who is the chief executive of Brother UK. One of the things he instantly noted was talking about drop off drop off in performance was that he said if you've got a, you know, normally a good team player, a good person, a good a good worker whatever, and there suddenly seems to be an unexplained drop off in performance just consider whether they're approaching a milestone birthday, 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever, because it's amazing how actually it gives us a focus on, you know, reflecting on our life and is this it and, and thinking about those things. And I think like you touched on the the pandemic has given people that hasn't it that time to pause and reflect and say, actually, is this what I want to do? Is this where I want my life to go? Is this what, how I want it to be? I was talking to my accountant earlier on today um, signing off my books and he said that one of his staff is leaving great guy he's going to be missed but he's off down to Newquay to go and live a different life because the lockdown's given him a pause for thought and thought actually I don't want to do this I want to go and do something different and so I think a lot of people are having that but it's a shame that so many businesses don't invest in that and and see that that stuff as fluffy and and you know not really and, and nice to have rather than essential.
1: Yeah, I mean, as an employment lawyer, I saw, you know, I had one client who very, I have great respect for this client, but very, very honestly said to me with the head in the hands, Natasha, I can't believe every time we had a a flexible working um, application to work partly from home and you said to us, you're going to have to consider this and we resisted it. I can't believe that we said no so many times because now our staff have worked from home. They've... They've overperformed, in fact, Um, and none of us will ever come back to the office five days a week. None of us will. And that was the partners in the business. It was an accountancy firm um, and all the staff. Now, the beauty of that admission is from a recruitment point of view, because this business has 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 accepted the change. They've run with it and they haven't just tried to go back to how things used to be for the sake of it. You know, for just to, to make the point, you know, we pay your wages. We want you back in the office. They they've found a happy medium where um, there needs to be some presence in the office, um, but equally um, allow people to flourish at home. Because they saw that when their staff effectively will, were, when the staff found their, each person will find the optimum way of working. And I'm sure my day of working looks different to yours. But as we're all different as, as human beings, why did we ever th- Think that like ants. I suppose it was the industrial sort of revolution and factories that everybody starting at the same time and everybody finishing at the same time was going to to get the best out of everybody. Um, so it, it's a complicated subject, but equally, um, I like your point. Uh, work life balance. I always feel I always feel a bit anxious if I start if somebody asks me about my work life balance. I overthink it. Um, all I know for a long time is that I've wanted to be present for my children. Um, for a long time, I was working long hours and I thought I was providing for them. I was a great mum, I was provided. But if I didn't walk in the door with a smile, if I wasn't relaxed, if I didn't have time to, to, to give them and proper present time, well, then actually they didn't really care how much money I had. They didn't care how fancy the holidays were because all they wanted to do is sit and have a chat with a smiley mum. So for me, that I don't like that word work-life balance either. All I know is that if every day I'm trying to live a life where I'm keeping my mental fitness to its... I'm working every day on my mental fitness. And um, that's why I like the phrase that you use because I think it's, it is daily work and it's a life's work. It's not a quick, have a go at it for a week and then everything's okay, is it?
0: No, it's not. It is. It's a lifetime journey. You know, you could go to the gym and and work really hard for 18 months to get a six-pack, but if you stop going and start eating junk, there's only one way that body's going to go, isn't it? So, And it's the same with mental fitness. I think you're absolutely right. What would be one tip that you would like to see or you could give to employers to improve the mental fitness of all their people?
1: I think um, I would say that... Accept that human beings are always different, and be aware that just because somebody maybe goes out on their bike on Sunday does a hundred miles um, and appears to the world to be super fit, it doesn't mean that mentally they're fit. So they can be physically very fit, and, and, and you know, there's there's a lot of men in the professional world, um, but they never stop. They, they can't sit still for a moment. They're not present with their families. They, they sleep very well. Um, they're high achievers, but they're living in a bubble of anxiety. Um, so don't assume. Um, be open, basically, to people's differences. Um, but take on board that the mind and the body both need addressing effectively. If somebody's working such long hours, they really cannot find 20 minutes to go for a walk. Then, then physically, um, their body perhaps isn't isn't running as well as it could do. Um, and my point is, is you could read every self help book in the world, but if you're not running your body properly, you don't get that mental fitness. To get the mental fitness, you need mind and body. You need you need to address mind and body. But it doesn't mean you have to sign up to a gym and and go for, to a gym for an hour every day and lift very heavy weights. Um, there are nuances, and we're all different. So. If you've got a member of staff who, who does work very long hours and has got a commute on, on public transport, well, have a walking meeting with them, encourage them to do walking meetings. Um, and, and I've heard lots of clients are now taking the staff out and they go, they're having their one-to-ones and they're going for a walk. I think it's a fantastic idea, a walking meeting. So if you understand the general theme, you for your business and for your staff can pick the habits that are going to fit in. Um, So, um, I think just be aware. The starting point is to be aware. There is no black and white, I think, fixed answer that applies to everybody, Um, but allow for human beings to be different. I think it's wonderful we're all different, really, so...
0: I'm going to end there. I think that's been brilliant. I really enjoyed talking to you, hearing about your why behind the book and, and how you've written that. I think it's a, a fantastic book that's going to help an awful lot of people. So if people haven't got it already, it's called Mandemic by Natasha Jones and it's on Amazon. It's a, a tale of a man who didn't like to be told what to do. Um, if there's a man who likes to be told what to do, I've yet to come across him. Um, so I think that I think that title will resonate with a lot of different people. But Natasha, thank you very much for your time today. I think it's been really useful um, and I've enjoyed very much having you on the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Natasha. As ever, I think there are a couple of things to think about. My takeaways from our conversation were that habits really are essential when it comes to looking after our mental health. And in, in her book, Mandemic, she shares, I think it's 32 fantastic habits. But I think the real key is to choose one at a time choose one really double down on that embed that habit and then and then look at doing another one for me caffeine has been a massive one. i read her book and immediately uh well not actually immediately but about a week later i stopped caffeine and it was surprisingly easy and i cannot get over a just how much mental clarity i've got now but also how actually even when i've had a bad night's sleep i just don't feel as tired the next day i would have gone to for a caffeine hit in the morning, a couple of filter coffees and then had a real crash in the afternoon. But I just haven't experienced that. So definitely cutting out caffeine has made a big difference. And then the th- the second tip for me is really about, you know, not underestimating just how much physical fitness can be a major source of mental, mental well-being and how we can look after ourselves. It's so important for that and how, you know, also as well not to confuse physical fitness with mental fitness so yes physical fitness can help with it but it doesn't automatically mean that you are going to be mentally fit if you are physically fit there's other things you've got to take care of um, and that's a really i i think that's a real eye-opener for for myself and for other people as well so i hope you've enjoyed the show again next week i'm talking to peter lewis who is the podcast host of black dog runner Till then look after yourself and have a great week Thanks for listening to today's episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. It only takes a moment, but it makes a massive difference to the visibility of the show and how many people we can reach. You know, our mission is to help people develop the mental fitness so that they can achieve more than they thought themselves capable of. So it'd be great if you could do that. A big thanks to Charlotte Foster Podcast for her hard work on producing the show. You can connect with her on LinkedIn. And the music for show is Where to Run by Strength to Last, created by the musical talents of Adrian Wolfer, a Canadian living in Nashville. Check out his music on Spotify and YouTube Music.